The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Season of the Witch, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis K. Lee, and Veronica Jagger. So, Bella looked around the tables. If there was ever an incongruous setting for what might be the most important meeting in the history of the world, this was it. They were on the lowest inhabited level in Top Hold, Vicky's space. You couldn't call it an apartment. It looked more like a squatter setup in an abandoned warehouse. Vicky had cleared away her combat practice gear so that the center of the space could have tables set up in a rough square. Card tables, because that was all Echo could scare up at short notice. Horrid, harsh fluorescent lighting glared down from the ceiling ten feet above the square of tables, leaving the rest of the room in shadow. It smelled of damp concrete, cheap Russian cigarettes, and ozone. In the center of the open space formed by the tables was a tiny medicine hollow projector. Seated at the tables and standing in what little space remained was the combined leadership of the free world, what was left of it at least. Generals, presidents, prime ministers, congressmen, and so on. They were all here, and more than a few of them still grumbling that they had to leave their aides and security teams outside. There were representatives from the United States, of course, as well as the United Kingdom, Germany, China, Russia, and India. There were more outside, but the big players had all ensured that they had seats at the table first. This was the big info dump. After this, everyone would break off and brief their respective national teams and get the gears turning. In case one of you somehow missed the memo, Vix's contact inside the Thulian forces gave us the hard location of what is described as the world ship. Our allies, Amphitrite and Atlas, who used to be the mountain, have gotten eyes on the thing, and this is an approximation of what it looks like. The hollow projector lit up with a stretch of open ocean. Floating on it were two shapes, shallow half-spheres joined together. Not impressive, until a line labeled 15 kilometers appeared beside them. This thing has been sitting in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle for, hell, for all I know, since about 1938. It's been cloaked with Thulean stealth tech. That's a lot of ocean, so as far as we know, nothing ever ran into it, though this may be why shit keeps going missing in that area. Vix, take it from here. Vicky stood up. There was nothing left of the diffident, unobtrusive little mage of only a few months ago. Before you ask how A and A were able to get eyes on this thing when it stealthed, they measured it by the displacement area in the ocean. And don't ask me what the hell that means. She's a goddess of the sea, and you don't ask a thousand-foot-tall goddess too many questions. This is where the Thulians are staging everything from. It's protected by a force field. They can sit out there until the end of the world and chuck stuff at us from there until we fold. They've got all the manufacturing capability they need. Amphitrite says they are mining the seawater, and according to my source, they have some way to get an endless supply of manpower. The only way we can reach them is to take down the force field from the inside. My contact on the inside is going to open a door for us to insert a small team to do that. But to keep the Thulians from catching on, 
we need to mount an attack to distract them. Then once the field is down, the fake attack can turn into an invasion of our own. There was a torrent of angry, and yes, frightened, babble at this point. Bella waited them out until the group settled again, and the most aggressive of the lot spoke up. It was, inevitably, General Johnston P. Raymond who shook his head and took to his feet. He was the replacement for Arthur Chang, and Bella liked him markedly less than his predecessor. She suspected the P stood for Peckerhead. Let me see if I got this right, he snarled. You've got coordinates, a picture, some intel on a possible access point, and on that alone you want the world to commit all available forces to a full-scale attack on the enemy, hoping that a small infiltration force will take out their main defense. Angry muttering erupted from the assembled representatives, most of them nodding their agreement. The Indian representative held up a hand, almost apologetically. How are we to protect our people if we are going to pull off the best of our fighting men and women for this attack? There was a chorus of agreement, and everyone looked to Bella. Bella remained surprisingly calm. And just how are your forces holding up under the current attacks? She asked simply. How long can you continue to do so? Natalia was not nearly as diplomatic. Peace on that. We have been fighting on the front lines of this conflict for all of you for years now. Anytime a band of nickel-dirty troopers turn up, you have come crying and begging for us to deal with it, and we have bled for you. She angrily stamped out her latest cigarette. The North American HQ? Our men found that information decoded by Echo. Ultimatul? Again, us. Now it is time for you, all of you, to pull your own weight. As for the infill team, I think you already know of the ones we've chosen to be the primary attackers on the force field generator itself. Bella nodded at the shadows to her right, and Sarah and John stepped into the light. Another murmur arose from the crowd. Ever since the destruction of Ultima Thule, the governments of the world had been trying to claim John and Sarah as their own. Many of the loudest voices for those demands and pleas were sitting at the table now, and Bella could feel the greed, fear, and awe pouring off of some of them. "'Can any of you think of a better spearhead for this assault?' Bella asked. She didn't give anyone time to respond or voice their case for why they needed to co-op the Murdochs again. "'No? Then shut the hell up and sit down. We're not done yet. "'Vicky?' We've consulted with Amphitrite and Atlas. They will tow our initial attack force into place on buoyant platforms developed by the Medizens and the Brits that have the same radar and sonar reflectivity as water. An image appeared of the two giants walking along the seabed, pulling the platforms behind them, like kids with a huge cluster of balloons. To be honest, since this is more of a show of force than an actual force, this first wave will be mostly metas with light artillery support. We'll make a lot of light and noise, but there's no point in wearing ourselves out until they sortie. And we figure they will. We're putting Red Savior in charge of this force. The ripple and shock of surprise at that announcement went through all of the assembled nations, as well as the CCCP. The representative from Russia spoke up over the murmurs, not looking at Natalia. Given her history within the CCCP, we would strongly suggest you reconsider such an assignment. 
especially in light of her standing with Prime Minister Bentov, not to mention the recent betrayal by her superior officer, Worker's Champion. Bella felt as much as saw Natalia tense, readying to launch herself across the table and probably strangle the man. We suggest... There will be no argument on this, Bella bellowed over the growing outrage. Red Savior is the only surviving commander of the invasion, the attack on the North American base, the attack on Ultima Thule, the attack on Midas, and several direct attacks on CCCPHQ itself. She is the only military commander with enough personal experience with a mixed conventional and metaphors to handle this. Bulwark will coordinate our suggestions for leaders of forces under her, but she is going to have battlefield oversight. Bulwark will take your suggestions under advisement, but only Red Savior has the long experience in handling the Thulians over the course of this war. Bulwark stood up and made his suggestions. As Bella had suspected, his picks somewhat mollified those who had been objecting. Except for Pecker had but... Nothing was going to mollify him except being named the battlefield commander, and pigs would fly before that happened. As for workers' champion, Bella continued into the silence that ensued when Bulwark had finished speaking. I'll let Red Savior speak for herself. The commissar took a moment to compose herself, lighting another cigarette and taking a quick drag from it. When Boryets defected to the enemy... It wasn't just a betrayal for me or for Mother Russia. It was a betrayal of the world. No, Tovarish, you do not have to be worrying about me. I will perform my duty until the last, with any luck that will include strangling the life out of the Svinia myself. Let me make this perfectly clear, folks, Bella said. This is it. This is our shot. We've been on the defensive since the beginning, and despite all of our victories, all we've really been doing is bleeding and surviving. Just. We don't know when we'll ever get another chance like this. We can end this now. You've seen what they've got, the endless armaments and forces they seem to have at their disposal. And yet, no weapons of mass destruction. No WMDs. I don't for one second doubt they have them, and I shudder to think what a Thulean WMD could do. Haven't any of you wondered if they're just playing with us? If we just keep going like we've been doing, it's only a matter of time before they tire of us, or arrive at whatever goal their sick, twisted minds have concocted. They could end us anytime they want, and you all know it. They've been batting us around like a cat with a helpless, half-stunned mouse, and we've finally got a gun aimed right at their heads. Don't you think it's time we pulled the trigger, while we still can? Trust me, Vicky added darkly. It won't be long before we can't. You've heard of Overwatch by now? I am Overwatch. I created the system. I supervise it. And I coordinate it over the entire world. And there is no one who knows what's going on with the metas of the world as well as I do. We're losing metas now. The metas we have left are exhausted, and you all know as well as anyone what happens to exhausted fighters. Once the metas start going down faster, your defenses are going to evaporate. Somehow that managed to penetrate as nothing else had. Perhaps because they had all heard of the mysterious Overwatch and her uncanny ability to deploy metas in the nick of time the world over. There were some feeble objections, quickly overcome, but the discussion was fundamentally over.
As the assembled representatives filed out with their orders, some of them still muttering to themselves, Bella felt a wave of exhaustion and relief fall over her. She turned and gave Bull a weary smile. You were right, she whispered. That was exactly the right way to deal with those pig-headed idiots. I know my kind, Bull shrugged and gently patted her back. John and Sarah waited until the room had finished clearing out before they walked over. I have to admit, I've always wanted to step out of the shadows like that, all mysterious and shit. John sighed, running a gloved hand through his hair. A lot of unhappy folks just walked out of the room, especially the military reps. They're not used to being told no. No, they're not, Bella agreed, as Bull nodded. And they are even more unhappy about the simple fact they've got no way to grab you. Even though it was supposed to be clandestine, I imagine everyone at the table is aware of how the U.S. government attempted that and how they ended up with egg on their faces. All the same, those people have long memories. If we can pull this off, things might get particularly interesting once we get back. In more ways than one, Bella thought, regarding them both thoughtfully. Although Sarah was no longer a seraphim, there was something a little uncanny and a bit frightening about the two of them when they were together. There was something of the same aura of great power and greater control about both of them that seraphim had had on her own, and whenever either of them got upset, their eyes started to have a bit of that inhuman, golden glow in their depths. I almost liked it better when J.M. was just a grunt and the seraphim was alien and inhuman. Now... Well, there are times when the both of them are plunging into the uncanny valley. Powerful metas had existed. Well, as long as anyone had known about metas, period. The ones that were as powerful as John and Sarah, however, were all almost universally insane in one way or another. Megalomaniacal, delusional, schizophrenic, bipolar, or even just catatonic there always seemed to be horrendous psychological consequences for a human being to have that much power. Yet, the Murdochs had been spared that torture. Granted, they had gone through their own sorts of hells to reach the level of power that they now had, but Vicky had cleared them magically, and Bella's own telepathic scans had turned up nary a stray hair, figuratively speaking, in either of their minds. They were stable, either how they shared the power or just their connection. Their love for each other kept them in check, somehow. It still didn't quiet her fears. Just what would happen when those two came back without a Thulean menace to confront? What would they do with all of that power? Oh, God, what am I doing? Here she was, thinking about the Murdochs, her friends, like she was, well, one of those generals that had shuffled out of the room. Calculating, assessing, weighing, trying to figure out how to use them. She swallowed a lump of guilt. But, on the other hand, I'm a leader. There's too much at stake. That's how leaders think. How they have to think, I guess. But she didn't have to like it. Natalia was the next to join them. She stalked up to the group, brusque as ever. Once upon a time, she could have had a life as a supermodel, what with her attitude and the way she walks. She was puffing on another cigarette, a cloud of smoke following her. 
old scared men do too much talking. If it were being up to them, we would debate color of casket to be buried and while Svinia line us up against wall to be shot. She looked around for somewhere to put out her cigarette. Finding none, she dropped it to the floor and crushed it with the heel of her boot. If she saw Bull's look of annoyance, she ignored it, and a second later, Herb scuttled up with what looked like a little shovel and a bamboo whisk, brushed up the butt and detritus, and scuttled away again. I do not have stomach for these bureaucrats, she said, spitting out the last word like a curse. I never have. I would say that it gets easier with practice, but I would be lying, Bella said, sighing. Nat fished a fresh cigarette out of her mostly empty pack. Murdoch snapped his fingers and produced a lighter-sized flame. Nat initially flinched, then leaned forward to light the cigarette. At least I'm not the only one that's still a little weirded out by the walking, talking nukes in the room. She turned to Bull, blowing out a cloud of smoke sideways. I am surprised, Tovarish, that you chose to nominate me to lead the assault. I was being tempted to say something during the meeting, but decided it was wiser to present, how you say, united front. I think it's safe to say we don't always see eye to eye on things, Commissar Savior, Bull said. But the facts are the facts. You are the most experienced field commander we have, and despite our differences, the one I would trust most to lead us in this fight. I still wonder how the coalition will respond. To be mixing command structures is difficult obstacle, even with a witch into a robotnik helping. They're still soldiers, Bull rumbled, and soldiers know how to follow the chain of command. Each group has its own commander, but you have final say. We make sure the commanders know that, and their forces will fall in line. After everything that's happened these past couple of years, you've got more clout than you realize, Commissar, John interjected. We've had mixed forces before. Nothing on this scale, perhaps, but still. Folks remember Ultima Thule and the North American HQ assault. Performance counts for a lot with ground pounders. And bear in mind, Vicky said, still at her place at the table, that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Not intact, at least. She waved at the seats. This is the point where I tell you what Eight and I have figured out as the info team's best composition, what we do, and how we get there. You ready to yell at me? I think I've reached my yelling quota for the year, Bull said. I've got a low-growl reputation to uphold, after all. Did Comrade Bull work just to make joke? Natalia asked. Something we're working on, Bella shrugged. He needs some practice is all. Vicky nodded as they came back to their seats, this time at the table where she had set up. Herb had already moved the hollow projector to the center. All right. First off, the infill team will be coming in via unpowered submarine. As Atlas and Amphitrite tow the assault force into place, Atlas will also be carrying the submersible. With no engines on, and with Amphitrite filling the water around us with fish, we should be effectively masked. Bull turned to Vicky, his eyebrow raised. We. John frowned and shared a look with Sarah. I'm going, she said flatly. 
the chances are high that the infill team will need magic. And not only is the place we're going a spaceship, and not a city or a base built on the Earth, it is specifically alien. I'm not sure I can work Earth magic or work through the Earth. That leaves technomancy and some old-school spellcasting that I'm frankly rusty in. The closer I am physically to the team, the more likely it is I can pull this off. But there's more to it than that. Penny's going. She most certainly is not, Bull said. Sorry, Mr. Bull, sir, Penny spoke up from where she had been sitting, completely ignored until now. But I gotta go. Mr. Stone says so. He says some of his friends from the Lost Squadron are there, and the only way you can talk to him is if I'm there. I'm not a medium bull, I'm an extra small, Vicky deadpanned. She's a child, Bulwark said with exaggerated patience. Do I really need to debate the morals of taking a child with us on a mission? No, because there's no debate happening. She's going. Unless you want J.M. and Sarah to have to search across two seven-and-a-half-kilometer half-spheres for the control room, she's going. My contact doesn't know where in the ship the damn thing is. Jacob Stone says the Lost Squadron knows the ship like the back of their ectoplasmic hands. Plus, they can watch for and alert us to trouble without being detected themselves. Penny will effectively be our eyes and our ears in there. We can't do this any other way. Vicky spread her hands. I don't intend her to go any further than the entrance, but she's got to be there in order to talk to the ghosts. At the very least, she'll need protection, Bull mused. Got someone in mind, or are you going to serve as guardian too? The elevator door opened. That protection would be me, Mel said. Looks like I got here right on time. She walked deliberately to where Penny was sitting and put both hands on Penny's shoulders. One flesh, one gleaming metal. I'm an army of one, and it's not just my illusions either, Cher. She raised her metal hand and flexed the fingers. Silent Knights packed me with frickin' lasers. Don't forget, Bulwark, I was a combat specialist before I was in Echo. Vicky nodded. I can't think of anyone who could take better care of Penny than Mel. She'll have the options of both passive and active protections, and nobody else I can think of can bring that to the party. She sighed. Look, people, this is it. We've got one throw of the dice here. And if we don't win here, Penny's going to be no safer in Atlanta than she will be with us. Maybe less. Remember, my late uncle and doppelganger had plans for her, and for all I know, DG has a way of finding her even now. Bull looked at all of them, his lips pressed thinly together. I really don't like this. Tactically, you are all speaking sense, but I cannot approve of a plan that places a child in such danger. His eyes continued to scan them, a mute appeal for anyone to take his side. Finally, they fell on Bella, who returned his pleading gaze with one of stern conviction. I hate this, she said flatly. But Fix is right. Everything is riding on this and we can't ignore any resource, no matter how young they are. We're talking about our survival, Bull. I'm afraid any one of us is expendable. Her mouth twisted. And even I can't believe I just said that. But that doesn't make it any less true. So this is it, then, 
Bulwark muttered. This is what we've come to. Natalia shrugged, still smoking. Children always die in war, same as anyone else. If we fail in our goals, she will die anyways. Better that she die fighting, rather than hiding afraid. If I were thinking it would be helping, I would draft every man, woman, and child in the world for this fight. This girl has fire, and we can use that. Mel smiled grimly. And before they can get to her, they'll have to go through me. Penny smiled tremulously and put one hand on Mel's metal one. I'm scared, sure, Mr. Bulwark, but I got to go. It ain't just Mr. John and Mrs. Sarah gotta help. What if something else comes up? Mr. Stone's friends, they're the only ones that can help us, and I'm the only one that can talk to them. And I don't want to be sitting here if y'all lose, waiting for the devil to come get me. This is the big fight, right? So I'm going to fight with all of you. Don't worry. I think we're going to win. Bull stared at her, speechless. Finally, he hung his head, and a short, barking laugh escaped his lips. He glanced at Penny and surrendered to her with a grin. I wish I had your confidence, young miss, he said. But you do inspire hope, don't you? Natalia looked at Bella, confused. He smiles and laughs now? Don't look at me, Bella shrugged. News to me, too. Vicky sighed. Okay, the last part of this is you and Bella, Bull. You need to be on the infill team, because in my experience, and in Nat's, some damn shit always comes up after you've deployed your primaries, and someone's got to handle it, and whoever it is has to be on Overwatch too. We also should have some sort of medic and telepath with us. Listen, Bull, I loathe the idea of putting Bella on the infill. It's like stupid Star Trek away team crap with having the captain go down to get shot at, but... It's what I've got. It was really a choice between Bella and Yankee Pride, but Yank is totally unsuited to be on the infill team anyway. He's about as subtle as an avalanche. Yank will be handling the secondary command to Nat. Now, if you can find me someone who's on Overwatch 2 that is better for the infill team than you and Bells, I'll amend the bad choice. I was originally slated in a secondary command role as well, Bulwark said. I was to command the main spearhead and provide defensive bubble support. If Bella is going in, I will, of course, provide backup for her. But who will fill in for me on the battlefield? Untermensch, Vicky and Natalia said at the same time. Vicky nodded to Red Savior to continue. Georgie is having field command experience back to great patriotic war, Nat supplied. He is also being my second in command. His English is being excellent. He is known to all Echo. He is wired to Overwatch 2 and Gamayun both. He is even having smattering of French and passable German. Bulwark nodded and scratched his chin in thought. I had him slotted to head the main cavalry unit for hit-and-run attacks on the enemy flanks. But you're both right. He's ideal. I think it's time to promote Blaze and give her that role instead. I think she's ready for this. Bella nodded and pointed at the holographic tactical map Victrix had brought up on display. Good call. 
She can take cavalry unit Alpha here where we're expecting more troop resistance, and we can set up the fast movers in Bravo on the left in anticipation of the wolves and flyers and head them up with leader. You're getting much better with the tactical, Bull said. Got a good teacher, Bella said, and elbowed him playfully in the ribs. Okay, is everyone good with this? Or as good as can be? Vicky asked, then ran both her hands through her hair, making it look for a moment as if she had stuck her finger in a light socket. The plan is pretty simple. We all go in. Penny contacts the Lost Squadron. They run trouble watch for us while one of them gets lit up by yours truly and guides Sarah and J.M. to the shield generator. Ideally, which we know will not happen, they get there, blow the Jenny, and everyone exfils to join the main forces. Meanwhile, Nat and the main forces knock on the outside, doing their best to make a lot of noise without expending too much to give us cover. If crap comes up inside, I light up another of the lost squadron, and they guide you and Bella to it, Bull. Our likely obstacles are Valkyria, Ubermensch, Boreats, and maybe Doppelganger. If possible, we are to avoid a direct confrontation with any of them. The priority is taking down the worldship defenses and then dealing with them. It'll be a lot easier with a literal army at our backs. I'm anticipating our wild card will be one or more of these master's critters. We know of at least two, one called Baron, who seems to like to fight things personally, and the head guy, Garrow. I've given you all briefings on them already. Any thoughts? Nat started another cigarette, as Herb toddled up to her and patiently offered her an ashtray. Would not suggest meeting Baron head-to-head, if it is same creature that nearly destroyed CCCPHQ. We were like pesky flies to it. Sarah exchanged a look with John. We might have a chance, John pointed out. She cut and ran before we had a shot at her. Still probably best not to risk it if there's a choice. Like y'all said, we've got other priorities. Take down the power source, let the good guys in the door. That's the problem with these masters, Vicky said grimly. We just don't know much about them. With the enemy metas, we at least have possible vulnerabilities we can exploit, but we have nothing on Baron to suggest anything effective against her. If you see her retreat, you likely will not survive a direct fight with her. But really, it's Garrow that's a mystery to us and what makes him the most dangerous of all. There's a few things we know, Bella said quietly. He's the head of all this. We might not know the extent of his abilities, but from what Jack says, he's vindictive, overconfident, doesn't listen to advice, and tends to concentrate on petty revenge rather than looking at the big picture. He doesn't seem like the sort to play nice with others or share power. When we take him down, we take them down. Cut off the head, the snake dies. One thing at a time, Vicky reminded them all. Shield generator. Stay flexible, stay in contact with each other. The good thing about having you with the infiltine bells is that we have a pair of commanders, and one of them is a superb tactician, right with us to react and hopefully correct instantly if the infiltine runs into trouble or if Nat and our guys outside need to be alerted to anything. And one more thing, Bella said finally. We have the most important thing of all, the thing that the Masters and the Thulians apparently don't have now and never have had. What would that be? Red Savior asked, stubbing out her cigarette. We, 
trust each other, Bella replied. Nat gave a surprised little huff, then smiled. My linen's beard, she said with a wolfish smile. We do. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.